Welcome to the Christ Walk Church Podcast. So glad that you guys are here. My name is Blake, and I have the honor most weeks of getting up in front of you and sharing God's word. And so I'm excited about what the Lord has in store for us today. We are in week three of our series, God Never Said That. So if you've got your Bibles or a smart device, you want to turn with me or swipe with me to the book of First John, not to be confused with the Gospel of John, which is towards the beginning of the New Testament. This is actually one of John's letters. Almost all the way at the end of the New Testament, you have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. They're these tiny little books. They tell us all about God's love. They're amazing. And so we're going to read just a section of of those. We're going to land there eventually um, today in the book of 1st John. So I invite you to to go there with me. Um, Two weeks ago when we kicked off this series... We talked about this, uh, we've been talking about these misconceptions that people had of things that they think God said, things that they think are communicated in scripture, things that we have accepted as truth, but when we get down to the nitty gritty, we realize, we discover, we find that God never said that. And so there's this idea we talked about two weeks ago that God wants us to be happy, but when we looked at it, we discovered that, that God's main purpose for our lives is not for us to be happy, it's for us to be holy, and that God doesn't want us to pursue happiness, instead he wants us to pursue him. And then last week we talked about this misconception that, that um, God won't give us more than we can handle. And that's actually a, a twisting of um, a, very, a very powerful verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 um, that's talking about temptation. But what we did find is that God actually will give us more than we can handle because he wants us to depend on him. And now today we're talking about a third misconception that a lot of people make, and that is that it doesn't matter what you do as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. God never said that. All right, so maybe by the um, maybe by the content of the video or whatever, you guys can tell that maybe some of you I can already I can I can feel the tension in the room. You're kind of bracing for impact. You can see that the content is going to be a little bit heavier. So let's lighten it up right here at the beginning before we jump in. This is what I want you to do. I want you to look at the person that's on the left side of you. Everybody, look at the person on the left side of you. All right. Now now look at the person on the right side of you. All right, and just for good measure, maybe turn around and look at the person behind you. Okay, here's what we're going to do. On the count of three, left, right, or back, on the count of three, you got to point at the person you think is the biggest sinner. All right, are you ready? One, two, don't jump the gun. Some of you are a little too eager. We would never really do that. Come on, that's crazy. We would never do that. We're not, we're not singling anybody out. Besides, I feel like everybody would have been pointing up here at me anyways. You know, back in, back in Jesus' time, um, it, it could be argued that the, uh, the, the greatest cultural value 
in Jesus' time was justice. There was, there was this, this concept that reigned supreme, and it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you do something to me, I'm going to do it back to you. That's how people lived. It was this dog-eat-dog kind of world. And then we fast forward to 2018 where we find ourselves, and no longer is justice the greatest cultural value, but, but I believe that we could argue that tolerance is the greatest cultural value. But here's the problem with that. A few decades ago, tolerance meant that every person has merit or value. But here in the world that we live in in 2018, we've twisted it to where it's become, the definition of tolerance has become every behavior has merit or value. And we've gotten to this place where it's become a cultural or a social taboo, something to be avoided at all costs, that we would dare label another person's behavior as sin or label another person as sinful. And we've gone to great lengths to, to make sure that this is not the case. We've, we've, done, um, we've gone overboard to try to make sin more tolerable, more easy to swallow, Consider just the category of sexual sin, all right? We'll just look at that category for a minute. Pornography, we don't call it that. We call it adult entertainment. That makes it sound so much better, doesn't it? Adultery, two people that are they're having a relationship out, out of their, they're married and they're in a relationship, a sexual relationship with each other. We don't call them adulterers. We just say, oh, they're having an affair because that sounds so much nicer, right? Or, or two people that are engaging in premarital sex or they're, they're cohabitating, they're living together before they're, before they're married. And, and we just say, oh, they're just fooling around. Everybody fools around because that sounds so much better. That's so much easier for us to swallow. And so what happens is, is that here in 2018, in the current area, the, the, the current time in which we live, we've candy-coated sin and we've made it out to be something a lot less than what it actually is. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 3, it says, the time will come, and I believe that we're experiencing that right now. It says, the time will come when people will not listen to the true teaching, but will find many more teachers who please them by saying the things that they want to hear. We're searching for people not to communicate the truth to us. We're searching for people to communicate what we want to here because it makes us feel better about ourselves and the behaviors in which we display, the activities in which we engage. Here's the thing that you need to understand. I believe that sin, this whole idea of sin as something that separates us from God, I believe that it is very real. I believe that sin carries with it some serious earthly consequences. I also believe that if it goes unaddressed, it carries with it damning eternal consequences. And you and I as the church, we can shout that message from the rooftops all that we want to. But until we meet the people of our community who need to know Jesus, until we meet them where they are, that message will never be heard. We cannot point the finger at sin without 
pointing the way to the Savior. And for so long, the problem with the church has been we've just been willing to point our fingers at sin in people's lives. And we've called out the things that they're doing wrong. And we've made it seem as though they need to get that stuff cleaned up before they can come and be a part of what God is doing within the local church. And we've ended up ostracizing and and, and pushing to the side the very people that we started out to reach in the first place. So here's what I want you to know. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. This is a place that you're welcome. At Christ Walk, you don't have to believe to belong. We invite you to come and be a part of what we are doing here. And I'm so, so thankful that you would join us today. And for those of you that are here today that you are believers, you are a part of the church, hear my words and hear my heart today. We can no longer extend criticism and condescension or condemnation to the world around us. Instead, we've got to come alongside those outside of our faith to help them discover that they have a place at the table with us. See, if we're going to point people to Jesus, first we've got to be a presence in their lives. You know, I hear a lot of people, they ask me, since I've become the pastor, by the way, if you didn't know, this is Sunday number 12. Sunday number 12. A full quarter of the year that I've managed to stay afloat here as the pastor. And the place is still standing. I haven't burned it down yet. Emphasis on the word yet. You know, the jury's still out on me. We don't know how it's all going to turn out. But I have a lot of people ask me this, like, as, as, like week one of me being the pastor. What's the church doing about outreach? Outreach, outreach, outreach. This is like a question. It's a buzzword within the Christian community that we throw around all of the time. And so people always want to know, what are we doing about outreach? Here's my vision for outreach, okay? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We'll refer to it later. I'll talk about this. This is my little soapbox for today. I'm going to stand on it for a second, and then we'll move on to the rest of the message. But this is important for you guys to know. Here's my vision for outreach. Wherever the community gathers, the church should be there. It's as simple as that. Wherever the community gathers, the church should be there. But here's the problem. The problem is I have a lot of people coming and asking me, what is the church doing about outreach? Because they want me to do something about outreach. Instead, we need to flip that around. You are a representative of Jesus Christ and his church. So go and be a representative of Jesus Christ and his church. If you're passionate about outreach, be a representative of Jesus and his church at work and at school and at the beach and on the soccer field and at the grocery store. And you start reaching out. And don't put the onus on this building or this staff. You engage in outreach. Now, that might just be to one person, but that's outreach. Because outreach happens when we go to the places in the community where people are gathering and we wrap our arms around them. That might just be one other person that you're connected with, that you're reaching out to. But if all of us did that, imagine the impact that we could make. Imagine the impact that we could make. Now, I don't say that to let the church off the hook. There's tons of things that we um, have done in the past and that we are going to continue to do to mobilize this body to reach out. In fact, next Thursday, not this coming, but the week after, 
there's this thing that kicks off here that many of the locals dread. Shrimp Festival weekend, you know what I'm talking about. And Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, a number of you, you avoid the island and Nassau County in general like the bubonic plague. Okay, but here's what I am going to ask you. I get it if you don't want to be here with the hundred and so thousand people that are going to be here over the course of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But there's this local event that is the parade that kicks everything off on Thursday night at 6. All right, so very grassroots. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Christ walk, let's invade the parade. All right, I, I want you guys to be there and just be a presence. Because where the community gathers, the church should be there. We don't have any agenda we're just going there to support the efforts of our community and we're celebrating with everyone else about what a great place this is to live and to be and to work and to, like, God's blessed us with a church right here in the midst of this. So let's invade the parade together. I'm going to be there. My wife Sarah is going to be there. That's a, that's a great reason to come. Not really for me, but because she's going to be there. Others on our staff are going to be there. I'm going to be wearing my Christ walk shirt. All right, if you've got one, wear it. Let's just go and be the church in our community. Let's just show people that we're not weird and crazy like they think we are. Let's show them that we're there to be a presence and just make some friends and celebrate and have a good time and just be holy and love people. That's all you got to do. And let's reach out and let people know that there's a church here that cares about them and their community. Amen. Can we do that together? Can we do that together? If you need a shirt, you can grab one. Go see um, somebody at the orange tent. And um, if you're not a first, second, or third time guest, if you're a regular attender here, we'll make these available for you. And the good news is, is that when you buy one of these as a regular attender, you pay for someone else to get one when they become a third time guest. Super cool. So if you don't have one and you'd like one, go to the orange tent over the next couple weeks, get one, and wear it to the parade next Thursday night. And we're going to invade the parade together and just love the people around us. Cool? All right. I'm moving my soapbox to the side. I'm going to step off of it. We're going to talk about three cultural misbeliefs about sin. Three cultural misbeliefs about sin. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. Three cultural misbeliefs about sin. The first one is, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. That's what we believe about ourselves. Well, you know, I'm not a bad person. I mean, the things that I do, like, I'm not, I'm not really bad. First John 1 John 1.8, I had you turn there, and we're going we're gonna to land there in, in a little bit greater detail later. But, but 1 John uh, 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter what we've done or how bad it is. We can always look around and find someone who's done something worse than us. We can always find someone to compare ourselves to. And we can say, well, you know, compared to that person, I'm not so bad. Some of you may be sitting next to that person right now. I don't know. Compared to them, I'm not so bad. But see, we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to other people. We should be comparing ourselves to God. And man, when we compare ourselves to God, it doesn't matter what level we are in comparison to the people around us. We are, we are depraved people when we compare ourselves to God. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, Paul writes, There is no one who always does right, not even one. None of us 
always do what is right. There's only one person that's ever walked to the face of the earth and lived a sinful or a sinless life, and his name is Jesus. Every one of us, for the rest of history and time, we have all sinned in some capacity. All right, so let's do a little test, okay? Now, you got to be a little bit vulnerable. You got to be a little bit honest. All right, raise your hand, and, and notice I'm raising my hand too, okay? So I'm not, I'm not just up here pointing a finger or whatever. Raise your hand if, like me, you've ever told a lie, okay? All right? Now, raise your hand if, like me, you've ever stolen something that did not belong to you. Okay, now raise your hand if, like me, you've ever looked at someone else lustfully. Some of the men are like, well, you know, they're sitting by their wives and they're like, baby, it was back in like the third grade. I didn't even know you yet. I didn't even know you. Some of y'all are going to have some really interesting conversations on the drive home. <laughs> if you raised your hand, then that would make you a lying, adulterous thief. <laughs> so welcome to Christ Walk. <laughs> Did you hear about the pastor there? He is a lying, adulterous thief. This is a place for lying, adulterous thieves. You don't have to be perfect to participate. You don't have to believe to belong. This is a place where you're welcome. Romans 3.23 says this, Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. There's nobody else that can point a finger at you because we're all in the same boat together. Here's the deal. Until you see yourself as a sinner... You won't recognize your need for a savior. So what we've got to realize, man, we are sinners and we're in need of a savior. It's not that we're not that bad. No, we're bad. The things that we've done are bad. We are sinners, all of us, and we're in need of a savior. Second misbelief about sin is this. All sin is the same. All sin is the same. You've heard people say things like, or, or ask the question, like, well, well, who are you to judge me? You know, what I'm doing isn't any worse than the things that I've seen you do. This is typically whenever, like, a Christian is trying to share their faith with a non-believer, kind of when these things come out. And, and, and we, we say things like, well, well, sin is sin, right? Sin is sin, right? Here's the deal. God never said that. Here's, here's what I do know that is, that is a fact about sin. If it remains unforgiven, according to the Bible, if that sin remains unforgiven, it leads to eternal death. Romans 6.23, the payment for sin is death. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. The payment for sin, the penalty, is death. But God gives us the free gift of life forever in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, sin is sin, but all sins are not equal in their consequences. All right, let me see if I can explain this to you. Like, um, how many of you uh, would say that, like, you're a, you, 
I'm a good driver. Anybody ever feel like you're a good driver? Anybody? Just a couple people willing to, willing to own that up. You know, I like to think that I'm a pretty good driver. But every now and again, I'll do something stupid. You know, somebody will be in my blind spot. And, and um, you know, and, and, and I might turn out in front of somebody that they're coming a little quicker than I assumed or, you know, I, I thought or whatever. And, and I've, I've noticed that whenever I do something like that, People want to, want to remind me of how great a driver I actually am. In fact, they're very quick to tell me that I'm number one. And I just wave and thank them, you know, and look for the Christ Walk sticker on the back of their car as they drive by. You guys know what I'm talking about. Anybody ever been told that you're number one because you cut somebody off in traffic? Yeah, I'm like, uh, sir, I, I don't think that's the appropriate way to make the number ones. Uh, it's a different finger you're supposed to use. Um, so imagine, though, if you cut somebody off in traffic and they just pulled out a gun and pff, blew you away. Right? You know, shooting a bird, we'll call it sin, very different than shooting someone with a gun. All right, both are sin, but both have different consequences. All right, both have different consequences. See, how we live, the way that we live, it influences three things in our life. It influences the consequences that we face on earth. It influences the rewards that we attain in heaven. And it can also influence the punishment that we receive in hell. So like, think of it this way. Shoplifting a $6 pair of socks versus killing someone while you drive drunk. All right? Both, I think that we could agree, in accordance with the standards and the principles of God's word, are both sin, but they carry different consequences. They carry a different result. Let's say that... Um, a staff member here at the church, let's say that they commit the sin of gluttony, all right? They're probably going to get to remain on staff here, you know, because they ate one too many steaks or whatever. But let's say that they got arrested for marijuana possession. Probably not someone that we're going to keep on the staff. See, both, according to God's word, would be sin, but they carry different consequences. And the Bible is clear about this. The Bible is clear that not all sin is the same. Luke 20, 47, Jesus says, but they, the Pharisees cheat widows and steal their houses and then try to make themselves look good by saying long prayers. They will receive a greater punishment for the things that they've done. So it's clear that there are levels of sin going on. Jesus, um, in, in John 19, 11, uh, Jesus answered to Pilate. He said, the only power you have over me is the power given to you by God. The man who turned me into you is guilty of a greater sin. Somehow, he had done, Judas had done something that was worse than what other people had done. 1 Corinthians six eighteen says, run. What? Some of you are with me this morning. I like it. Run from sexual sin. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. There's no other sin out there that affects your body at the same level 
as sexual sin. It's somehow greater. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter what I do. Yes, it does. Your sins carry with them consequences. All right? They carry consequences. It does matter, and you will be punished because of them if they remain unforgiven. If you don't submit your life to Jesus Christ. So number one, I'm not a bad person. Number two, all sin is the same. The third one, and this is one that we always or often a lot of us fall into this trap. Since I've already done it, I might as well just keep doing it. Since I've already done it, I might as well just keep doing it. Since I've already lost my virginity, might as well. I mean, like, not like I can go back, right? Since I've already smoked pot and gotten high, like, I mean, I, I might as well just keep on doing it. Right? Because, I mean, like, I've already done it once, and, and like, you know, the, the, the naivety and the, and the innocence is gone, so I, I might as well. Since I've already cheated on a test, and, and I didn't get caught, and it worked out, and I got a really good grade, I mean, I've already done it. I, I might as well just keep doing it. Since I've already looked at pornography, like... I mean, I've already seen that stuff, so, like, what's the big deal? I might as well just keep on looking at it. Because, I mean, you know, I've already done it once. What's the big deal? Romans 6, 1 and 2, Paul writes this. He says, so do you think we should continue sinning so that God will give us even more grace? No. We died to our old sinful selves. So how can we continue living with sin? You know, I see this particularly as a problem in the church. You know, as a pastor, you, you hear a lot of people, and, and maybe, maybe you've heard people say this about a church or about a pastor. Or, heaven forbid, maybe you've even said it yourself. Like, I wish the, I wish the messages, I wish they were just a little more deep. Like, I, I just want to go deeper into Scripture, right? Like, I just, I, I want to go, I want to go, for, I'm, I'm, I'm not all about just this surface stuff, like this basic stuff. Like, I want to go deep. Anybody ever heard that or thought that? You don't have to raise your hand. Those are things that we hear and that we, that we say all the time, like just this surfacey stuff. I, we got to move past that. We, 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 want, we want something more. We want something that's deep. And, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you, when you learn to swim, you don't learn to swim in the deep end of the pool. You start off in the shallow end where your feet can touch the bottom and you can figure things out. And what I've discovered is that, is that most Christians... Most Christians that maybe they've been like a Christian for 30 years, instead of actually being a Christian for 30 years, they've just been a first-year Christian 30 times over. And they're longing for the deep end, but they haven't figured things out in the shallow end first. See, here's the deal. Spiritual maturity is, is not based on how much we know. Spiritual maturity is based on how much we obey. And most Christians are educated well beyond our level of obedience. 
The most miserable people that I've ever been around in my entire life are not non-Christians. They're not non-believers. The most miserable people that I've ever been around in my entire life are Christians who claim to follow and to serve the one true God, but they are living lives of open and blatant um, disobedience to God and his word. They're actively engaging in sin. Those are the most miserable people at all, whatsoever, because they know the truth, but they've refused to surrender their lives to it. Here's the deal. Sin, it's progressive. Sin doesn't just stay this tiny little thing, all right? Sin, sin grows. We give the devil an inch in our lives, and you know what he does? He takes a mile, okay? Like, we start off in, like, pornography, and maybe it's just like a, like a Victoria's Secret magazine or something laying over here on the side, and it, and it starts there, but then that grows, and that turns into something much bigger. And then we've gotten so deep into it that we can't figure out how to get out of it. Lying. We tell one, oh, this is a tiny little white lie. It's not going to hurt anybody, but it grows. And then what happens is, is we tell one lie, and then we have to tell another lie to cover up that lie, and then lie after lie after lie, and then all of a sudden we don't even know what the truth was to begin with anymore. We're just entangled in it because sin grows. Stealing, we start off with maybe a pack of gum or some baseball cards or something from the store. No big deal. It's just... But then it turns into something and it grows and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger in our life. Flirting with that person that is not your spouse, it seems innocent to begin with, but it grows and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then before you know it, your marriage is ruined. We don't mean for it to get that big. Over here, it's just something really tiny. It's no big deal. But then it grows because the devil wants to come to steal and to kill and to destroy he does not want you to experience the life that Jesus Christ has for you. He wants to wipe you off the face of the planet. He is not for you. He is against you. The fact is, sin affects other people. Sin hurts God. Sin hurts you. Sin hurts the people that are around you. We do not live in a vacuum. It is not just us. It's like dropping a pebble into a pool of water. It ripples out beyond it. There are residual effects that go on and on and on. It can affect your spouse. It can affect your children. It can affect your friends, your extended family. You do not sin just in this closed vacuum. It affects the people around you. And most importantly, it damages your relationship with God. It kills your ability to be intimate with God. Sin dulls your sensitivity to God's voice in your life and your ability to hear the things that he's calling you to do. Sin will harden your heart to the desires that God has for your life. Here's what I know about sin. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you way more than you want to pay. Sin will destroy your life. But the good news is this. The church may have gotten it wrong, and guys like me may have gotten it wrong. But I want you to hear this today. Jesus is a friend of sinners. 
I may have missed the mark. Other well-meaning Christians may have missed the mark. You may have been burned by the church in the past. You may have had plenty of people point out the sin in your life, but not being willing to come along you and and put their arm around you and get in the mess and the muck and, and walk you, lead you into a relationship with the Savior. But you need to understand that where we've missed it, where we've failed, where where we've messed up, you need to know that Jesus is a friend of sinners. You've got a friend today. There's someone that loves you. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, The only temptation that has come to you is that which everyone has. That's powerful because that means that the things that you're experiencing, the things that you're tempted to do that are sinful, you are not alone in them. We are all in that boat together. We are all tempted. Don't think that you're alone. Don't think that you're the only one. Don't think that the enemy is just picking on you. He's not. We're all in that boat. We are all tempted to sin. No temptation has taken hold of us except that which is common to man or or has come to you except that which everyone has. We all share in those temptations. And here's the good news. You can trust God who will not permit you to be tempted more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, he will also give you a way to escape so that you will be able to stand it. A way to escape. That way is Jesus. Jesus is your way of escape from sin. Jesus is the way out. Jesus, the friend of sinners, is the way for you to escape the sin and temptation that is holding a grip on your life. Our tendency is to push sin to the background, to let it sit there and just pretend like it doesn't exist. The Bible is clear those of us that do that, those of us that live our lives that way, those of us who pretend that we are not sinners in need of a Savior, that we are fools, and the truth is not in us. We're going to land at 1 John chapter 1 today, reading two verses, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9. But... So glad God has a but. If we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. All the wrongs. Not just like 99.9%. You know, like on hand sanitizer, kills 99.9% of germs. I always wonder, like, what about that other 0.01%? God will cleanse us from all of our wrongs, all of our sins, 100%. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. 
It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. It doesn't matter how many years, how many, how many um, days, weeks, months that you've been stuck in that kind of lifestyle. None of that matters because through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you can be forgiven. All of it, 100%, can be wiped away. You don't live your life in a vacuum. The sins that you commit, they've got consequences here on earth. More importantly, in your eternity. But the Jesus that I stand up and preach about every Sunday, the Jesus that is the foundation, the cornerstone of this very church and other churches like it all around the world, Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's not condemning you. He's welcoming you with open arms. He died on the cross so that you could be made free from your sin. And today, freedom of sin is very simple. The way that you attain forgiveness and freedom from your sins is very simple. In fact, it's so simple, it's just like saying ABC. One of the very first things that we learn in school. A, we admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior. B, we believe that Jesus, God's Son, is the one who came to this earth, lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He defeated death, hell, and the grave so that we could be forgiven. And C, we choose to live our lives for him, that we choose to surrender our hearts and our lives to Jesus and what he wants for us. If you'd like to do that this morning, and you'd say, Pastor Blake, there's sin in my life and I haven't been living the way that I know that I should have. And I want God to come in and clean me out. I wanna confess my sins today so that I can be made clean. Then I want to invite you to pray this prayer and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. All over this house, I invite you to pray with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christwalk Podcast. For more information about Christwalk Church, please visit thechristwalk.com.